morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock, and I'll be your host every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nachum Seal Network. All right, I'll be pretty honest. I'm pretty excited for today's show. It's something that is a topic I actually really like talking about, and it has to do with goals and approaching those goals and setting those goals and then hopefully one day actually accomplishing those goals. So we are approaching Rosh Hashanah. We're approaching the Jewish New Year. And something that people love to do around the time of the new year, whether it be Rosh Hashanah, whether it be January 1st, is to set goals, right? Whether it is, uh, I want to get this certain job, I want to lose this amount of weight, I want to you know, resolve this issue, whatever the case may be, there's always that, that New Year's resolution, that, that wanting to, to set a new goal and accomplish it. So for this week... I decided that we're going to have some sort of goal-oriented um, show, hearing from different people, from voices that, you, that you've that you heard, and maybe um, some videos that you actually watch um, as we get ready to make those New Year's resolutions. So first things first, I decided to take a, a peek at the owner of the New England Patriots, Robert Kraft's speech at graduation at Yeshiva University uh, last year, uh, I remember listening it to it at the time, and uh, he actually had some very, some very interesting, um, some very interesting points and and advice to give to those that are looking to reach a certain goal. So we're, I'm going to play for you a clip right now of Robert Kraft's. Uh, it's it's not the whole speech; he spoke for for a while, but uh, it's a nice little tidbit, nice little bite, if you will. Um, from Robert Kraft's speech about goals. So here we go. Now I challenge you to dream big. When I was a young man, I had a big dream, a chalom gadol. I dreamt one day of owning the New England Patriots. A number of factors made that dream wildly improbable. Number one, I didn't come from money. Number two, I had no connection to the world of professional sports or the people in it. And number three, some of the greatest NFL teams are never sold. The Bears, the Steelers, and the Giants have been in the same family for nearly 100 years. Yet, I used to sit in the stands at the old Foxborough Stadium with my sons on Sunday afternoon, and it struck me how the team was mismanaged. Sitting there in the stands... I would dream of what our family would do if we only had a chance to own the team. As I said, it was wildly improbable that we would get to own it, but not impossible. Our rabbis teach us, Ein davar omed lifnei haratzon. The power of will allows us to accomplish great things. And for our purposes now, I'll just share part of the story of pursuing my dream of buying the Patriots. The previous owner, part of the Budweiser family, wanted to move the team to St. Louis. I had to fly there with my eldest son, Jonathan, to meet with him in a final attempt to persuade him to sell the team to my family so I could keep the franchise in New England. Now, I've done a lot of business negotiations in my life, but I'll never forget that one. The market rate realistically was around $110 million. We were prepared to offer 115 or even 120 to $122 million to get it done. 
At that time, that would have been an extravagant price for any professional franchise, especially the lowly Patriots. They were the worst team in the league. In their previous four seasons, they had won only 14 games. That's an average of three and a half wins each year. In their 34-year history, they hosted just one playoff game at home, which they lost. Earl Campbell and the Houston Oilers destroyed them. By the way, it's been suggested to me this could be the first and only time that the Hall of Fame running back, Earl Campbell's name, will be mentioned at Yeshiva. <laughs> so the team was losing millions of dollars per year. The price we were prepared to pay was already way too high. But the owner rejected that price and came back with their counter. In 1994, they would only sell us the team for $172 million. More than 50 more than we were prepared to pay. I didn't think that was reasonable and we didn't have that kind of money. They were asking for the highest price, not only in the NFL, but for any professional sports franchise in the world. It was outrageous. But Ain Davaro made Lifneha Ratson. The power of will, I just had an instinct. There are things they don't teach you at Yeshiva Business School or any business school. Sometimes in life, you don't get a second chance. Something in me said yes to that Meshuggi number. <laughs> I trusted my gut and we did the deal. We closed the deal on a Friday afternoon. The next morning was Shabbos. I went to Shul to give thanks to the Lord for allowing me to live my dream. On, the, on that Shabbat, there was a strong snowstorm. And in spite of that fact, 6,000 fans lined up to buy season tickets to support the team. The positive energy they generated that day and for the past two decades have propelled the Patriots. In the 21 years since we bought the team, we've been privileged now to have 18 home play 21 home playoff games, and we've won 18 and had the privilege of going to the Super Bowl seven times. So I say to you, what is your Chalom Godot? What is your big dream? Think big. Make it a wildly improbable dream that motivates you. One that wakes you up in the morning ready to attack your day, to persevere and persist until you accomplish it. Dream a big dream, a bold dream. Don't play conservatively between the 40-yard lines. Don't just play it safe. My mother Sarah, of blessed memory, taught me Ain Rabeli Tov. There's no bad that doesn't have some good attached to it. Keep coming back like the tide when it doesn't go your way. If you don't give up, you can make your dreams come true. Making improbable dreams happen is the story of our people. I'll never forget the first time I went to Israel on my honeymoon, in, even though I think I'm 35 now. That was in 1963. Israel was only 15 years old. My wife, Myra, and I were staying at the King David Hotel. I remember what I was feeling when I put on my talus and tefillin in the hotel room. It struck me that for thousands of years, 
Jews were putting on talus and tefillin and praying for return to Jerusalem. That was our big dream. And there I was with my new bride in the King David Hotel. We were so close, but yet we were so far away from the hotel. We could see it, but in 1963, you could not approach it. We could not touch it. From our hotel room, we could see the Jordanian soldiers holding their rifles, sitting in the notches up in the wall, not allowing us to approach. I'll never forget going back to Israel after the recapture of the Kotel in 67. I had goosebumps. I had tears in my eyes. It was such an emotional moment. I will never forget touching it, kissing it, praying at it, and thanking God for it. That was Robert Kraft at YU graduation just this past year, uh, telling us how how he achieved his goals several years ago and, and how the Jewish people you know, in Israel, taking us taking us back to when he was in Israel for the first time in, in 1963, and he was unable to visit the Kotel because of the circumstances then. And then several, several years later, when he was finally able to go visit the Kotel because of the, the goals that the Jewish people achieved of recapturing uh, Israel at that time. So, so that was Robert Kraft and his, what he's been through and all the goals that he set for himself and then eventually achieved and his advice for uh, the graduates at Yeshiva University. Now we're going to play for you a little music, and here is Avram Freed. Some of the 
Love. 
by Avram Freed. Now, continuing on with our goal-oriented show here as we head to Rosh Hashanah shortly. Um, last year, when uh, Miriam L. Wallach, the host of That's Life, was unavailable to to have one of her shows, she actually asked me if I would like to to do her show. And as someone that, that wants to be on the radio one day, I had no choice but to say yes. So when I had that opportunity, I took it. And I decided the only thing, the only person I really want to interview for that show was none other than my friend, a former colleague and and a mentor of mine, Steve Bunin. Um, So I'm going to play that interview shortly. But just to give you a little background on Steve, Steve actually um, bounced around a lot early on in his career. He is a uh, he always wanted to go into sports broadcasting and eventually did make it to ESPN as one of the. You know, as one of the top anchors, really, um, on ESPN News, Outside the Lines, and uh, all over Bristol there. So, Steve, um, eventually, though, decided he wanted to do a little something different. He was in, he was already at ESPN, achieved kind of where he wanted to go early on, but then, you know, things changed in his life, and he, and he wanted to, to make a move where he could move to a community and really... Um, and really have an impact on the Jewish community as well as, you know, trying to be as high as possible within his sports, uh, you know, in his sports career. So he moved, made the move to Houston, and he has a really uh, intriguing story all the way from, from when he, you know, graduated Syracuse at the top of his class all the way to, uh, to his move in Houston. So I'm going to play for you now an interview from Steve Bunin that, uh, that I actually recorded on That's Life just last year. All right, let me give you a little story time here as we uh, get ready to introduce our special guest. Senior year of high school in my English class, uh, wonderful teacher, Mrs. Kira, Deborah Kira, if you're listening, shout out, howdy. My senior year in high school, we were asked to devise a five-year plan. Uh, This five-year plan, which I guess expired this summer sometime, is my guess. Let's see, it graduated 2010. This is already 2015, so let's say it's expired. But that five-year plan, I promise you, never included a microphone. Um, back then, being the senior and the, maybe the naive Jewish kid I was, I wanted to work in a management role in sports management. My sports teams being the Houston Astros, Houston Rockets, and Houston Texans. I'm a big sports fan, and uh, I wanted to work in a front office. But uh, when you get to college, you kind of start seeing things in a more realistic way. And uh, not to say that there are, you know, Shomer Shabbat, they're not from from Shomer Shabbos Jews in a sports management role. There are, there are plenty. You really have to have things break your way. Um, It would have been tough for me. So I decided to move kind of halfway through my college career, if you will, into media. Uh, A friend of mine was the president of WYUR, the Yeshiva University radio station, and said, listen, Yoni, you love to talk sports. Why don't you have a sports talk show on our radio station? I said, great. You know what? I do love talking sports. An hour, that's pretty easy talk about myself. I could talk about sports, two things that I'm really great at. And uh, But I wanted to do it with a co-host, so uh, I asked a friend of mine whose name is also Yoni, Yoni Levine. Yoni Levine and I had a sports radio show. Now, when you take two Yonis and you want to have a sports radio show, what's the most logical name to your sports radio show? Yoni and Yoni in the night, right? So uh, obviously, Sunday night, every Sunday night for about a year, year and a half, we had a sports radio show uh, to all the tens of people that listened to us. It was great, fantastic, had a great time. And uh, pretty much from then went on, I had a few internships locally in Houston, 
a sports radio uh, station. And then here in New York, actually, I interned at Sirius XM for the NBA programming, which is pretty cool. And uh, now pretty much kind of leads me to here, um, where I'm now hosting a show at the Nachum Siegel Network. But I'm a sports guy. I'm a Jewish guy. So when I was given this opportunity, the best thing I could think of is to combine the two for this show. And I couldn't think of a better guest to have on this show than the uh, the Honorable Steve Bunin. Now, uh, many of you may have seen him on ESPN almost a half decade ago, not to really date him or anything. Uh, he's definitely spoken at a few camps, tournaments. You may have heard him. He is uh, a former colleague of mine. I used to intern at CSN Houston. And now when I say colleague, I really use it in the most loose of terms because uh, I am a little pitcher of an intern there, and he's the lead anchor at CSN Houston. So... I mean, I guess technically colleagues work, but uh, I was pretty much, you know, pulling that, uh, pushing, rolling that teleprompter little uh, knob for you. And uh, so that was a great time. I mean, I was mirrored like 10 feet away from you desk wise and could really annoy you and make sure you did as little work as possible. But um, again, still a former colleague of mine. He is currently the co-host of Prime Cut on Yahoo Sports Radio. That's Monday through Friday, 4 to 8 p.m. Eastern. And also on the stream, you could catch it on the stream, YSR.com app. And also around the NFL on Sundays on Yahoo Sports Radio from 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern. Um, but he's a valued mentor of mine and, more, most importantly, a great friend. Uh, so, Steve Bunin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Although, when I accepted the invitation, I was under the understanding that your name had a C uh, in the spelling. And so now I'm not sure that I should remain uh, on board here. This is, that has just grown my world. <laughs> for a loop. Oh, I'm kidding. I know how to spell your name, but I just figured out. No, we were colleagues. Yes, you're an intern, but you're part of the newsroom, and I was thrilled to have you on board, and you were among the most impressive uh, that we had, and it, it doesn't surprise me that you got this gig here for today, and yes, maybe it's only for today, but that's only for now, and in the future, hopefully, I'm willing, many more. So thank you very much for having me. Ah, my pleasure. Okay, let's uh, let's get started here. Um, I don't think many of our listeners probably have heard your story, or many probably haven't uh, followed your path to stardom. Um, kind of take me through what happened from when you graduated, I believe, almost top of your class at Syracuse, uh, all the way until getting to Bristol. I know it was a bit of a rocky path. Um, take me through those years. Yeah, it was. Um, so it started, I would say, just a little earlier, just a quick back. So I grew up in Seattle, and like you, a huge sports fan, love to talk. And I was really uh, focused to have this career since I was, even before Bar Mitzvah, I think like 10, 11, 12 years old. I was, I, I was always broadcasting in the stands and record myself into a little tape reporter and play it back later. I turn the volume down on a Seahawks game and, and broadcast uh, that, either play-by-play and, and listen back and, and all that. Uh, so I only applied to Syracuse University because it was sportscast for you where Bob Costas and Bob Albert and Len Berman in New York and Dick Stockton and Mike Tariq and so many others have gone. I never applied to another college. I was very focused on this career, and I think it's something that has kind of benefited me as my as I would find out in my, in my 20s. So yeah, I graduated in 1996 from Syracuse, the year they made the Final Four. John Wallace, future New York Knicks, and uh, I was considered sort of at the top of my class just in, in large part because I had had a local internship, and when somebody in the sports department left, they had all the interns fill in, uh, put in a you know an application or resume tape, and of all of them, they picked me, and the last guy to do that, to be on the air at a real station, like doing the real sports while still in college, was Mike Tirico. So there was a good, I, I had a healthy amount of confidence. I don't think I was cocky, but I expected, okay, I'll, I'll work in a small market for a little bit, and then medium, and and move my way up. And instead what happened was it took me a year after graduating to get my first full-time job. I was in Binghamton, New York at the Fox affiliate. And then I got um, laid off there 
two and a half months into the gig. So I had this crappy apartment that I had leased out for a year. I was broke, had to move back in with my parents. It was, it was a real disaster uh, because a year into my career, I'm, I'm behind the guys who are just graduating. So um, then my career took me to a bunch of small towns. I, I like to say like below single A, independently. Flagstaff, Arizona, uh, Lansing, Michigan, where I did get to cover the final four in 2000 when Michigan State won it all in basketball. Uh, then I got laid off from that job. I was out of the business for a year and a half. That's really when my life took a change and, and really the intersection of Judaism and broadcasting, uh, came together. That was 2001, 2002, which we can talk about. Um, but just to sort of wrap it up to take it ESPN after a year and a half out of the business, and this was getting rejected from cities all across the country, everywhere in every state. If there's a city with a TV station, I applied and I was rejected. I finally got a job in Kalamazoo, Michigan not a metropolis of either sports or Judaism. Um, and then um, a year after that, I got my lucky break, and I got to ESPN, and that was 2003. So it was seven long years with 13 moves, um, never making more than $27,000 a year in that entire time, living at my parents in my old bedroom for two of those years. And then when I was 29, I finally got to ESPN, where I stayed for nine years and really got to fulfill my dream. And that's sort of the path, in a nutshell, that got me there. Right. So I know over that time, I think you went back home to Seattle for a bit. Uh, I believe you, you once told me you coached high school Jewish basketball for the Seattle, the, whatever, the Jewish school there in Seattle. Yes. Um, so over yeah. that time, you, uh, I remember there's a story. You faced kind of a, an almost impossible situation. One of your players on the team, uh, there was an incident. So if you don't mind telling us kind of what happened during that season and pretty much how that really affected your whole career outlook and you know, the way you live your everyday life. Yeah, not at all. I'm proud to tell the story, uh, although it is a sort of a tragic one, but also I think an inspiring one. So yeah, 2001, I get laid off. I move back home, and I'm uh, doing odd jobs, including substitute teaching uh, in the Seattle area. And, and among that, I did a lot at the Jewish uh, schools, the Jewish day school, Orthodox school, et cetera, et cetera. And a friend of mine who I played basketball with at the JCC was coaching at the Northwest Yeshiva High School, the sort of Orthodox, um, modern Orthodox uh, high school in town in Seattle and asked if I would help out. He was sort of laissez-faire about it, just sort of showed up, let the kids run around for a couple hours during practice. I come from a public high school that was really focused on basketball, and so I was very serious about it. Be on time, you know, your classic, like, type A coach. Um, you know, don't talk back, be on time, we're running. If you don't do, if one guy does something wrong, everybody runs. So I brought that mentality into it, and the guy let me take over because he didn't care. And the kid that I bonded with most quickly happened to be, uh, as I found out later, one of the most learned kids, one of the, the nicest, sweetest boys on the scene uh, at the entire school. He was friendly with the rabbis. He was friendly with the, the unpopular kids, with the girls, with the boys, with, with parents. He's just a super kid. His name was Ari Grashen. Uh, he was a sophomore. Uh, but early in the season, he was diagnosed with brain cancer, and the operation wasn't able to sort of take care of it, for lack of a better word. So long story short, um, he fought like a, like a hero, like a warrior for 11 months until he eventually passed away just before he turned 17. Uh, it was third day of Sukkot, 2002. So during that time, uh, he invited me into his family and into his life, and his family invited me into this, this journey, this struggle. Uh, I, I was you know, able to drive him around to the hospital and back. Uh, he has three brothers, one of whom is actually getting married this weekend. Um, and uh, a super supportive family. It was the first time I had seen observant Judaism. I grew up conservative and um, very proud of my background, but I hadn't experienced like a quote-unquote Shabbos where you sort of lock it down for 24 hours. Um, and so like a lot of people, I think, make that path. It was uh, different. It was, it was a challenge. You know, I missed my college football. I missed college basketball. I missed 
driving around. But I, then I saw the warmth and the um, humility and the togetherness and the sharing that observant um, Judaism can bring and can provide. And when it's more inclusive and exclusive, it can be a life changer. And it was a life changer for me because Ari's family was like that. And they, he and all his buddies, who I'm still friends with uh, to this day, this is yeah, 15 years later almost, uh, they really took me in, and it just changed my uh, approach and outlook on uh, Judaism and, and on life in a lot of ways. So although he had a, um, a horrible struggle that eventually, you know, he, he did pass away, um, he continues to inspire me to this day. And then right before he passed away, a couple months before, was when I got that traveling challenge you I told you about. Um, like just one example is for the last six weeks of his life, as it was clearly going bad, I was, I was flying home, and only through the grace of people in the community who would donate uh, mileage plus tickets or even would buy a plane ticket because I couldn't afford it because I was making nothing at this you know, crappy TV job. And I'd fly home on um, Monday morning and be home in Seattle and living at his house and helping him and anything that, that demanded. And I'd fly back Thursday night on a red-eye to Michigan and work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then and then be back at his house. So that, that's just one example of, of what the observant community would do that I'm not sure that, maybe, but I'm not sure that a conservative or reformed community would, would do that, that sort of feeling of this is a family. And that has made a permanent impact on my life, and, and that's the way I live my life now as a modern Orthodox Jew. Um, and, and balancing that at ESPN was a challenge, but was one that I was very proud to do. Um, I'm no expert, I'm no rabbi, I'm no perfect Jew, but I'm, I'm very proud of the path that my life has taken, and it's because of this boy, Ari, in large part. Yeah, every time I hear this story, it's, it's really incredible, and, and it's just, you know, we could learn a lot about it, how, how really different Jewish communities uh you know, I've, I have my own personal experiences, but uh, Jewish communities, when they get together and they really, you know, support a cause and, or uh, something that happened in the community, uh, it, it's just really inspiring. Um, but uh, switching gears here, kind of from uh, one Jewish high school basketball team to another, um, I don't know if people are familiar with this story, but back in 2012, uh, a, a local uh, high school Jewish team, actually a team I played for and was the captain of in Houston, uh, the Barron Academy Stars, uh, they were in a in a uh, state tournament, and uh, the TAPS tournament over there in Houston. And what happened was um, we had a uh, – the, the, the team was playing. They got into the playoffs, and, and as the, the schedule uh, kind of came out, they realized that starting uh, pretty much in the semifinals, the games would, uh, would be played on Shabbos. And they knew that was an issue, um, but they, you know, they kept playing uh, beforehand to try to get as far as they could. So what happened was they, they actually they played really well. They eventually get to the semifinals – and uh, so the game's on Shabbos. So now the school has a choice. Either they're going to play on Shabbos or they're going to uh, have to forfeit the game. Uh, the team came together and unanimously decided they weren't going to play on Shabbos. They'd forfeit. Um, and un- that's an unfortunate end to a lot of their uh, playing careers. Uh, but eventually, actually, this story uh, went national and international all over the news. Um, and TAPS eventually, through a lot of pressure, made the decision to switch the game from, from I believe it was either going to be Friday night or on, or on Shabbos, um, to Friday earlier in the day, and then the championship game would be moved to Saturday night. Now, um, ironically, I guess later on it ends up being that you end up coaching actually the same school for a bit in, uh, at the Sarachek tournament last year. But yeah. uh, at that time, I believe you were with ESPN. So uh, yeah. I'm curious, like uh, I've never actually heard this story from your end what was uh, what was the story like? I guess how you pitched it because I know the story ended up making outside the lines a uh, a TV show on ESPN. Uh, so did you have any uh, role in that? And uh, how 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 did that whole uh, situation play out? Yeah, I was proud to have a role in that. Um, so uh, outside the lines for people unfamiliar is sort of like sixty minutes for ESPN. It's our investigative journalism show. 
if you do more long-form pieces on issues that transcend sports and life in a way that on Sports Center, which I was proud to host, you just didn't, for the most part, do that. Almost all the time, you're doing highlights and you know news of the day and that sort of thing. So outside the lines of the show, I was on, and you, what would happen the way that they would come up with a story idea is you, everyone around the room, there's a, a production meeting each morning, and there's, let's say, kind of 50 people, and whether it's the executive on top, the anchor, uh, the producer, or the, the youngest production assistant, any of that idea is valid. It's a really cool uh, way to, to run a show, and I, I, I love being a part of it. And so I had seen in, I think, the New York Times or something um, online that, that this, this story was happening, that the Jewish school... Um, uh, wasn't going to be able to play because the uh, you know playing on its Sabbath, and I I said look you guys this is a, this is a great story I know I'm I'm you know maybe the, the most active Jewish guy in the room but I'm it transcends that anyone can deal with this the idea of you know discrimination or equal opportunity or just high school dreams coming to an end there's a lot of threads to the story that will resonate with uh, viewers around the country so I pushed really hard for us to do it and uh, to the credit of you know the New York Times and other papers they they were the first ones I think to really put it on the national front, and, but ESPN does have a huge platform. So um, after a day or two of, of really pushing for it, uh, Outside the Lines agreed to do the, the story. And on that day, of course, Bob Lee, the main host, happened to be back, so he, was, he hosted, so I didn't get to host it that day. But I was very proud to see it, and I, I remember my school in West Hartford, uh, Connecticut, uh, we talked about it that Shabbat. That was a, our rabbi's uh, sermon that day was about the school Baron Academy and and what would happen, and what does it mean for these boys to stood up the way they did, and what what is the right thing? And there's a lot of you know opinions on both sides, and I think it's a very fair and interesting discussion to have and an argument to have. Um, who did the right thing? Who was right? And should they have pressured? Should there be a loss? So there's a lot of great tentacles to the story, uh, but that that was sort of my role in doing it, and I was really proud. And then I had no idea, but two years later, uh, or maybe it was a year later, I ended up uh, in Houston. And became friendly with uh, you and a lot of the guys who play to pick up basketball during holidays and people are back from Michigan University or otherwise. And got to know the coach pretty well. And then this past spring, he invited me to be the coach at Therachek because, you, you know, the actual coach of the team isn't allowed to be there uh, per Texas uh, rules. Um, and so I was honored to do it. And, and you know what? It's funny. That was actually the second time I coached Therachek. The other time was 2002 when my boy Ari was still fighting and he was actually disappointed of his that he wasn't. He was diagnosed in November with brain cancer, and by February or March, it was, that was a goal was to be able to play in the Fairtrack tournament. And um, because I wasn't technically the head coach, I could be the head coach at Fairtrack. So I went, and Ari couldn't come, um, but it was still a, an amazing experience. And again, that was like a first for me to be around. Like I played Maccabi sports, so I've been around a lot of Jews and athletic events and teenagers and all that, But it was, and I even coached Maccabi. But it was just different. Fairtrack was a different kind of experience. Again, where you're all together, Shabbos, the, the whole thing. Um, and, and so this past spring, that was a real fun bookend for me to have done it 15 years ago in a more tragic situation, but uh, then to do it again here, coming off the heels of being a part of uh, putting, putting them on the national and international platform for their right for you know equal opportunity to just play in a basketball game. Yeah, Steve Yunin joining us here on That's Life on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, Steve, before I let you go, um, as someone has made it pretty much as far as you have in this industry, in the sports industry specifically, uh, can you give kids listening now or maybe the parents of these kids who are listening any advice on how to make it in this already competitive industry, you know, factoring in that we can't work on Shabbos? And unfortunately, a lot of what happens in the sports world does happen on weekends. Yeah, I mean, that's um, that, it, it's a huge challenge. Uh, obviously, most public high schools, because generally when you start, you're doing in broadcasting, you're doing high school events, whether it's for a newspaper, magazine, TV or radio, you're covering high school events uh, or 
small college. You do not, you know, your first assignment isn't to go to the New York Giants, throw that the Eagles game. Like that's for South Antonio. He's been doing it for 25 years, right? So, so for the most part, other than that, but for the most part, you're doing those events. And other than uh, observant or modern Orthodox or Orthodox high schools or, or day schools, um, those events happen on Fridays and Saturdays. So it's, it's definitely that, that would be the biggest challenge I would say to anyone who has a, a son or daughter who wants to pursue this and is committed to an observant lifestyle. Um, but I would say just for anyone, whether they're Jewish or not, observant or not, uh, the biggest thing is you have to really like writing, I believe. Uh, even if people who do uh, talk radio like what I'm doing now, I think it has helped me a tremendous amount to be a, a really a lover of reading and a lover of writing and to love not just reading and writing about sports, but to read about politics and geography and uh, history and fiction and nonfiction and law and, and all those things because it can help color your language and can help inform your ability to make decisions and take a stand. Um, you know, anyone can take a stand on Eli Manning versus Peyton Manning, but uh, what about when, um, you know, something comes into the, like here in Houston, Texas, they had a vote about equal rights, and it was voted down, and now the NCAA has threatened to take out the final four because they don't believe it's as tolerant of a policy as they'd like, and the Super Bowl may do the same thing. Like, can you make an informed opinion about that if you've only read about the Eagles and the Giants and the Cowboys and the Seahawks? So I would encourage anyone at a young age, if you're, if you're passionate about reading and writing, then this could be something for you. If you just want to be on TV, like, that's a great thing, but it's not enough to make it in, in broadcasting. It's just too competitive of a field. You have to get over that uh, idea that you're going to be a superstar on ESPN and think about, am I willing to move to, in my case, literally the, the corner, four corners of the country, making less than the guy at McDonald's in order to pursue this dream. And if you are... Then, 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 you know, you, you, you do whatever you can in terms of extracurricular stuff, like the things I was talking about. Go to a high school game that no one's watching and record it. Now you can do it in your phone. But record yourself doing the game. Play it back on Sunday. How did you sound? Play it back Monday, right? Critique yourself. Things like that. If, if my advice to, to young kids out there, teenagers, is if you do those things and you're happy about it and passionate about it and eager to work harder at improving, then you have a chance to make it in the business, whatever your religious background or denomination is. Um, if you're not, then then you know love sports and and embrace it, but understand that it's it's just too competitive of a field. Um, it's all about supply and demand, and you got kids coming out of college every year that want to do this, and we'll take, you know, like I did, I would take a job for thirteen thousand in Arizona, I would have taken it for eleven thousand in Arizona. And if you're willing to do that, then you have a chance, and even then, it's not easy. But you have a chance. So that's the basic, the, the basic uh, introductory advice I would give is. You love reading and writing and performing at some level, talking on stage, telling jokes, or you the, or you the class clown. If, if all those things sort of, if you check all those boxes, then you've got a chance. And, and to just pursue as many extracurricular internships, follow a friend around for a day. If you've got a buddy who works at a radio station, just see if you like it. See if you, you, you fall in love with it the way that, that I did. And, and if it's worth making a lot of sacrifices to make a, a career out of it. And if you do, you don't care about how much money you make, then it can be an extremely rewarding career. That's Steve Bunin. Steve, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, and, uh, you know, I look forward to listening to more of you on the radio and maybe TV in the future. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me, and uh, let me know if you ever want me back. But, again, only if you're going to change the spelling of your name. It's got to be CK at the end. <laughs> I'll see what I could do. Thank you. Uh, see you, Yoni. See you. So that was Steve Bunin, former ESPN anchor and now a uh, radio host in Houston, Texas. You could hear him all over the sound waves. Steve, as I mentioned before, a valued mentor of mine that, you know, thank God, kind of just dropped into my lap. Um, I believe it was over my, actually it was, yeah, it was during my high school years, but uh, 
someone that I constantly ask advice for and and try to follow his advice as much as I can um, as I try to make, you know, as I try to achieve and reach my goals um, in my uh, career. Now we're going to play for you a little some songs from Jakob Schwecki and uh, we'll be back shortly. Sing it 
And that was Et Recode by Jakob Schwecki. Before we move on with uh, one final motivational speech, um, which I actually find fascinating, but I'll talk about it a little more. I want to remind you all that we still have this week's four to the door. I'm not going to tease the topic yet, but uh, I think Jamie thinks she's going to win this week, which is interesting because uh, I don't. Um, but again, four to the door, which will be approximately 10, you know, in the 1050 area, just because that's how we're going to end the show. So reminder, four to the door. We have a motivational speech coming up next. But first, some of my favorites from Yeshiva Boys Choir.
That was Ashrei by Yeshiva Boys Choir, actually one of my favorite songs for about a span of two weeks or so um, back when I was in YU. Speaking of which, um, the last video I, w- I want to play for you is a motivational speech titled, How Bad Do You Want It? by Eric Thomas. Now, um, this is a speech that I've probably listened to over over 10, but under 100 times, so somewhere in the in the 10 to 99 range. Um, for any of you that have actually heard it, um, I think you would agree with me in saying that it's incredible. I actually told myself at one point, um, the, you know, the the, uh, the summer after I graduated, I was out of a job for a bit. I was like, you know what? Every morning I'm going to listen to this, and that's how I'm going to get into the, uh, the mood, uh, so to speak, of, you know, applying to jobs and looking for jobs. Um, how bad do you want it is such a, uh, it, it gets me, you know, I'll, I'll still listen to it even though I have a job and everything's great. I'll still listen to it from time to time. Um, because I think there's, there's an important message, I mean, several important messages on, on, you know, persevering through tough times and, and trying to achieve that goal. Again, the uh, main theme of this week's bite size. So here we go. How bad do you want it by Eric Thomas? So if you want to make six figures, you can't just be talking about you want to make six figures. You hear what I'm saying to you tonight? If you do the three things I tell you to do tonight, I guarantee you whatever it is you want to do in life, you'll be able to do. You will be able to accomplish whatever you want to academically, financially, relationally, whatever. So three things. All right, I'm going to tell you the story. I got to get out of here. And the story is about, you guys have probably heard about this before. It was a, it was a young man who, you know, he wanted to make a lot of money. And so he went to this guru, right? And he told the guru, you know, I want to be on the same level you are. And so the guru said, if you want to be on the same level I'm on, I'll meet you tomorrow at the beach at 4 a.m. He liked the beach. I said, I want to make money. I don't want to swim. Guru said, if you want to make money, I'll meet you tomorrow, 4 a.m. So the young man got there at 4 a.m. He all ready to rock and roll, got on the suit. He should have worn shorts. The old man grabs his hand and said, how bad do you want to be successful? He said, real bad. He said, walk on out in the water. So he walks out into the water. Watch this. When he walks out into the water, it goes waist deep. So he's like, this guy crazy. 
Adrian, he's like, I want to make money. He got me out here swimming. I didn't ask to be a lifeguard. I want to make money. He got me in. So he said, come out a little further. Walked out a little further. Then he had it right around this area. The shoulder area. So this old man, crazy. He's making money, but he crazy. He said, come on out a little further. Came out a little further. It was right at his mouth. My man, like, I'm about to go back in here. This God is mine. So the old man said, I thought you said you wanted to be successful. He said, I do. He said, walk a little further. He came, dropped his head in, held him down, holding him down. My man getting scratching, holding him down. I got you. I know you brushed it out, but I got you. He had him held down. I need you for an illustration. He had him held down just before my man was about to pass out. He raised him up. He said, I got a question for you. Somebody answered the question for me. He said, when you were underwater, what did you want to do? Lee, I'm looking for a different word though than live. What's that word? He said, I wanted to breathe. He told the guy, he said, when you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. I don't know how many of y'all got asthma in here today, but if you ever had an asthma attack before, you short of breath, SOB, shortness of breath, you wheezing. The only thing you're trying to do is get some air. You don't care about no basketball game. You don't care what's on TV. You don't care about nobody calling you. You don't care about a party. The only thing you care about when you're trying to breathe is to get some fresh air. That's it. And when you get to the point where all you want to do is be successful, as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. And I'm here to tell you, number one, that most of you say you want to be successful, but you don't want it bad. You just kind of want it. You don't want it badder than you want to party. You don't want it as much as you want to be cool. You, most of you don't want success as much as you want to sleep. Some of you love sleep more than you love success. And I'm here to tell you today, if you're going to be successful, you've got to be willing to give up sleep. you got to be willing to work off for three hours of sleep, two hours. If you really want to be successful, someday you're going to have to stay up three days in a row. Because if you go to sleep, you might miss the opportunity to be successful. That's how bad you gotta want it. You gotta go days without, listen to me, you gotta want to be successful so bad that you forget to eat. Beyonce said once she was on the set doing her thing, three days had gone by, she forgot she didn't eat. Because she was engaged. I never forget uh, when 50 Cent was doing his movie, I did a little research on 50, and 50 said that when he wasn't doing the movie, he was doing the soundtrack. And they said, when do you sleep, Empty? Sleep, he said, sleep. Sleep is for those people who are broke. I don't sleep. Said, I got an opportunity to make a dream become a reality. Football players, how many football players? Got anybody like football in here? Raise your hand, anybody like football? Emmitt Smith, I used to be a Cowboy fan before they did my boy Tom Landry wrong. I used to be a Cowboy fan. And watch this, there was a commercial. Emmitt Smith had won his first Super Bowl, and he had this commercial when he was lifting weights. I don't know if you saw the commercial when he was lifting, and he said, he said, Emmitt said, you know what? Ah, I won the Super Bowl, so I can rest now. He, had, he was doing his bench press. So he said, I won the Super Bowl, so I can rest now. So he throws up about 325, boom. And he rests for about two seconds. And he, boom, boom, boom. You see that? He'd already won a Super Bowl. He said, I think I'm going to take a rest. And he rests for how long? One second. Most of you won't be successful because when you're studying and you get tired, you quit. And I'm here to tell you today, if you got a, somebody came to my office the other day crying, 
I said, look, don't cry to give up. Cry to keep going. Don't cry to quit. You already in pain. You already hurt. Get a reward from it. Don't go to sleep until you succeed. Listen to me. I'm here to tell you today that you can come here. You can jump up. You can do flips. You can be excited when we give away money. But listen to me. You'll never be successful until I don't have to give you a dime to do what you do. You won't be successful until you say, I don't need that money. Because I got it in here. So listen to me. Emmett Smith said this at the end of the commercial. Emmett Smith said, all men are created equal. Some work harder in preseason. I'm going to say it again because you might have missed it. All men are created equal. Some work harder in preseason. So that means that there are some people who are going to see the professor, going to see the TA. And even when the professor says, I don't meet with you, my TA meets with you, you say, I don't want to talk to your TA. I don't pay the TA. I pay you to teach me. So you're going to have to find some time to meet me. If I got to meet you at the mall, if I got to meet you at your house, you are going to see me. Listen to me. All men are created equal. Some work hard in preseason. When I went to college, guys were way smarter than me. 4.0s, 3.0s. They went to the Ivy League high schools, came to Oakwood from these great high schools. Most of them are not doing what I'm doing. Why? Because it's not about where you come from. It's about heart. You come to a place where, you know, being smart ain't enough. You got to have heart. That's number one. Watch number two. Number two, catch number two. I wrote it down. I wanted to make sure you got it. It says, to be, watch this, watch this. We're talking about sacrifice now. The important thing is this. You're right in why I'm saying it. Because I only have about three more minutes. Listen to me. The most important thing is this. To be able at any moment to sacrifice what you are for what you will become. That's the number two thing. You got to catch that one. To be able to, listen to me, at any moment, some of you, you can make sacrifices when Monday Night Football is not on. You can make a sacrifice. But when the game come on, for some reason, you just attach to it. For some of you, when your favorite show come on, you, you, can, be, you can make sacrifices on Sunday when ain't nothing going on. But when your favorite show comes on Monday, man, some of you, you focus into the phone ring, and then you like, I gotta answer. If I don't answer the phone, I'm gonna die. I'm saying to you today that there are some of you, if you give up your cell phone, you would be successful. But your cell phone is more important to you than your success. I'm gonna say it again. I'm gonna hurt somebody. I'm gonna hurt somebody. Some of you need to give up your cell phone because the time you spend on your cell phone could be used for your success. The time you could be using to be successful, you're using it on the cell. And the cell phone is not bringing you nothing but a bill. And somebody has told you you couldn't live without it. I'm talking about going deep now, giving up stuff. Watch what it says. To be able at any moment to sacrifice what we are for what we could be. I don't do well in math. You're right. You ain't never studied. I'm not good in writing because you have never written before. But I dare you to fail in writing for a whole year to see if you can get to the end. I dare you to fail. I dare you to take that same class over and over again. I dare you to stop dropping classes like you soft. Always want to give up. I'm dropping. Why are you dropping? I'm so grateful that the slaves didn't drop and quit. Say, I'm just going to stop. I'm a slave. I'm just going to be a slave. I'm going to quit. Listen to me. The slaves said, we will live because one day we will become. We won't always be slaves. 
So today, although we're slaves, we're going to act like we're free, and one day our children will be free. If the slaves would have just said, we quit, we give up, we would have died in the middle passage. But some slaves said, I don't care what we go through, we're going to survive this. 400 years of slavery, we're going to get through this. And you can't get through it, 1825. You can't get through a writing class and you got tutor after tutor, resource after resource. The problem is you ain't never felt no pain before. You're soft. It's a soft generation. You quit on everything. Our people did not quit. Harriet Tubman not only made it, she went back and got some more. She said, you know what? I made it, but I'm, I'm going to walk all Listen to me. Shh. Not ride the bus. I'm going to walk all the way back down to the south to get some more. And you quitting on 1825? Now watch this. You quit after you, listen to me, you get a sleeping bag and you wait for them. You wait for the first WRA instructor to come in and you come out your sleeping bag, I need help. You quit after you do that. You quit after you had, listen to me, a, a WRA party. I'm, I'm having a party. Everybody come over. I got food, everything. And let them get over there. Let it be all the best writers. All right, I fooled y'all. I want to have a writing party. I'm serious. You quit and you ain't even tried yet. Last one, I'm sorry. Last one. Listen to me. Pain is temporary. It may last for a minute or an hour or a day or even a year. But eventually, it will subside, and something else will take its place. If I quit, however, it will last forever. Listen to me, I'm telling you as I leave, telling you as I leave, I was homeless for two and a half years. And the problem with most of you, you never felt no pain before, y'all spoiled. Y'all spoiled, some of y'all spoiled, just bottom line. Your parents have done everything for you. You never had to do nothing for yourself, you're spoiled. We're going to keep it real tonight. Some of you are spoiled brats. Every time you ever got in trouble, somebody in your house got you out of it. Every time you've done something you're not supposed to do, people say, Eric, your mother's a tyrant. You're right. She kicked me out. You're right. She's mean, but she developed a man because she put me out there and said, you're going to have to grow up. And some of you have never learned to grow up. And so every time something get hard, you quit, you call mama. I dare you to take a little pain. I dare you. I dare you not to go home. Somebody said, I don't go home, I feel bad. Go, go through it. You ain't going to die at the end of pain and success. You're not going to die because you're feeling a little pain. I'm not eating like I eat at home. That's why you're about to go to the next level, because if you keep eating like you ate at home, you'll keep being a boy or a girl. It's time to become man, woman. So don't, don't worry about a little pain. My greatest asset is I was homeless. So I can't feel a whole lot of pain. I've already been alone. There's not a whole lot. It's not not a whole lot of hurt I can feel on a little paper, on a little test. So I leave you. I leave you. Listen to me. We have gotten to a point where it's midterms and we're moving forward. The days of you getting money. I'm not saying we quitting, but I'm saying a day has got to go from external to internal. You have to give it everything you got. No more TV. No more parties. No more plan. If you don't have a 4.0, what you need to be doing is studying. Get off the phone. I, I, I'm sorry I'm not available until the end of this year. <laughs> no, I'm for real. You reached the right number, but you called me at the wrong time. Call me back January 1st.
I'm about to get busy now. Huh? I want you to have a countdown of your own and say when the countdown is over, where the real, shh, watch me, because when I was homeless, I knew something was wrong. I knew that wasn't the best of me. And one day I said, will the real Eric Thomas please stand up? Will the real Eric Thomas please stand up? Stop being this high school dropout. Stop giving up, stop sleeping on the street, stop walking up and down Fico Avenue like you ain't got nothing and get your GED. Stop being afraid to take a test. Stop being afraid to go to college because your daddy didn't go and your mama didn't go. Stop being afraid and be the best Eric Thomas you can be. But listen to me, it's going to be hard. It took me 12 years to get a four-year degree, but I got it. And guess what? On a degree, it don't have dates. So if it took you four and it took me 12, it don't show up nowhere. But I'm exactly where I wanted to be because I realized I got to commit my very being to this thing. I gotta, I gotta breathe it, I gotta feed it, I gotta sleep it. And until you get there, you'll never be successful in life. But once you get there, I guarantee you, the world is yours. So work hard, and you can have whatever it is you want. Thank you guys for your time. So there you have it. How bad do you want it? A motivational speech by Eric Thomas. You could uh, constantly listen to it by just replaying this archive whenever you'd like. You could find it on YouTube. Um, he's a motivational speaker, plenty of speeches you could find online. Um, I definitely encourage you to check it out, especially if you need that, that little push, that extra spark. Um, Eric Thomas is your guy. Uh, one of my favorite quotes actually, um, is, uh, something pounded constantly by, uh, probably my favorite athlete right now, uh, JJ Watt, his, his, um, his main, his go-to motto is dream big, work hard. Um, and a lot of people have variations of that. But, you know, I, I think at this time around Rosh Hashanah, around New Year's, when, when people make those resolutions, it's all it's it's important to dream big and, 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 you know, set your goals high. But the only way of it, you know, you could achieve that is by working hard. And uh, as Robert Kraft as Steve Bunin, as Eric Thomas, as an, and as many, many people will tell you, it's it's that effort that you put in. It's it's you know, you can't let things just just come to you. You gotta put in that effort. So that's uh my reminder to all of you as as we get ready to uh to make those resolutions as Rosh Hashanah is quickly approaching. Now I remember uh teasing it a bit earlier and I told you we didn't have a uh, you know we weren't ready to tell you a topic but here we go this week's four to the door again is a it's a segment that myself and Jamie Torkel the assistant programming director here at the Nahum Siegel Network um, we put together a top four list of blank every week is different last week I believe it was top four popsicles um and if I may say so myself, my top four was better than Jamie's top four. Um, but to end each and every week on Bite Size, we are going to have a four to the door, a top four blank. And this week's top four is top four TV shows. Now, I don't have Jamie's list on me. Do you, do you have it for me, Jamie? Oh, here we go. Her handy dandy. Uh, reaching for it. Top four list. Okay, we we actually have one overlap, and it's in the exact same spot. I'm impressed. So this week was top four TV shows. 
the ca- caveat being that they uh, they cannot be discontinued. They cannot be off air. So, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's an episode this week. It just means that they're still on the uh, on the TV guide. So that means no uh, Breaking Bad and uh, those things. I'm actually surprised. You know, Jamie has talked to me about certain shows in the studio, and neither of these shows are on the list. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Jamie, it's, it's number one is on top for you, right? Okay, so I'm going to start with number four on your list, which is top four TV shows this week. Jamie Turkell's number four is Shark Tank. A uh, It's a great show. It doesn't make my top four, but um, my roommate and I used to watch every night a different episode or multiple episodes. I think we watched together about four seasons worth of Shark Tank. Um, and then he decided to get married and we haven't watched since, which is fine. That happens apparently. So I've heard number three on Jamie's list is master chef. That's a food network show. I assume. Correct. Correct. All right. Number two, and actually the same number two I have is modern family. Now, now, um, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you my reasoning. Number two, why that makes number two on my list, but, uh, a good choice for number two, Jamie Turkel with modern family and number one. And also a great show. It doesn't make my list, but but I do admit that it is a great show. Number one is New Girl. So again, four to one for Jamie Turkel is Shark Tank, MasterChef, Modern Family, and New Girl. And here we go with Yoni Pollock's top four, four to the door, top four TV shows. Number four is The Walking Dead, um, one of the highest rated TV shows spectacular tv i actually started watching it at night and and it's not a great idea to start a show like that at night um because it's not you know it's a little bit of a scary show i'll admit it so number four the walking dead number three a uh a newer tv show i believe now only two seasons in maybe three seasons i don't even remember is the last ship underrated show i don't believe many of you have actually heard of it it's actually on tnt tnt not exactly known for their tv um, but the last ship totally up my alley of like fighting, um, war. I love things on the water in the air, so that works there. Number two, as I said, is the same as Jamie Turkell's Modern Family. I love how clever the humor is in that show. As a lot of people have dropped it, you know, it had a great run. I think it's what six, seven seasons in right now, easily, maybe even more. You know, people dropped it after number four. I think it's so clever still to this very day. The humor in it. Um, it's something I, I appreciate and it's always good for a solid, you, you know, you have something, you have nothing to do for 20, 30 minutes, modern family. And number one I put on my list is suits. Uh, suits has been up and down admittedly for a while, but this past season and the season before incredible TV, um, suits for those of you that aren't familiar with it, a, uh, lawyer type show, Mike Ross, Harvey, etc. So, uh, that's my four to the door. Top four TV shows, The Walking Dead, The Last Ship, Modern Family, and Suits. Email me at yoni at um, and let me know who should win this week's top four, four to the door, top four TV shows. And that will do it for this week's episode of Bite Size. Thank you all for tuning in for the last two hours with me, Yoni Pollock. Again, you could check us all out on Facebook at Nahum Siegel Network, on Twitter at Nahum Siegel Net, on an Instagram, Nahum Siegel Network. If you haven't yet downloaded the NSN app, 
You can do so by heading over to the App Store and installing the free NSN app on your smartphones and get all your content while on the run. You can check out the bite-sized archives for all the previous episodes you've missed. And please leave comments if you'd like and let us know how we could improve or if you have any other ideas for a future show. Again, my name is Yoni Pollock, reminding you that the bite size is the right size. (laughs) 